Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. So this week's episode, we dive straight into some of my struggles as a parent dealing with a two-year-old now who is just starting to experience this terrible twos tantrums stage at two years and 10 months and kind of how that relates to our tantrums and our struggles as adults. What are some of the strategies that we have to employ with kids and how can we employ some of these strategies as adults for ourselves? Enjoy the episode. Good morning, Sean. Sunday, October 2nd. 2022. Good whatever part of the day that you are listening to this on, listener. Good day, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you've tuned in, this is Startup Struggles, episode 43. Apologies last week for us missing. It was uh, my fault. I went golfing very last minute in LA and could not record. And on that note, we're actually going to try to golf next week. And so next week's episode will be live on the golf course. So be prepared for profanities by me talking about how I miss a shot. <laughs> Should be fun. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a novel idea that we just thought of right before this recording. Like, hey, what if we went golfing and recorded on the golf course? Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Stay tuned. That'll be the struggle for that week. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, catching up on the past two weeks, it's been kind of a crazy roller coaster. I think for both of us, James still very much new to the job and, and there's a lot of exciting developments and challenges that he's dealing with. And for me, still new with a baby and she is just changing every day and every week. And uh, Miles as well, our older son. And I think it's funny because like the prior week, the biggest struggle was actually trying to figure out how to kind of how to coordinate you know, like nighttime routines with the baby because she's getting fussy and, you know, whereas she wasn't fussy before. And, you know, they, they call it, if you're a parent, you would know this, they call it like regression, sleep regression. There's like a bunch of different regressions. And she would like sleep for a good solid three hours. And then all of a sudden for like a week, she just wouldn't sleep more than like an hour at a time. And then she'll return to like sleeping to like long sprints again. And, and so that's like always a struggle because it's just frustrating. You're like, oh, we, we got a rhythm going and now it's start all over. Yeah. Sounds like my adult life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which what we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit, Ashley, um, is how a lot of the things that I see with kids, as much as we think we've grown up or grown out of them, they actually very much stay the same or they seem very relatable. One of the biggest challenges this past week has been with Miles because he is, you know, he's two years and... 10 months now. His birthday's in January, it's October. You know, we were just like, oh, like he has tantrums, but it's pretty mild, right? But this past week, oh boy, like he's completely changed. And, and we don't know if it's because like there's been some changes with his teachers at school because one of his teachers like I think got pregnant and the other one had to like go to surgery or something. And so like there's a lot of changes at school, like environment that he's very familiar with, right? Or it's just like his age and his developments. Yeah, the terrible twos apparently. 
Yeah. I mean, I laughed. I balked about the terrible twos for like the past year, you know, for the past 10, nine months that he's been two. Yeah. <laughs> right. And now I'm just like, oh shit. <laughs> Cause he's just inconsolable and you can't say no to anything. Like he, obviously there's stuff that you say no to that's like either, you know, it's dangerous or you don't want him to like, I don't know, walk on my golf balls. Right. Or throw my golf balls at things. Right. So I just don't have golf balls in the house anymore. That's of course, that's the solution. But, you know, like anything that you like kind of say no to or kind of ask him to do, like put on his pants, right, change his diaper, he just breaks down. And before it was like short and we would just console him. We're just like, hey, it's okay. You know, like and just make him feel safe. But lately it's just like inconsolable. He just will go on and on and on, just rolling around on the floor and just yelling and screaming. But the crazy thing is like, he's not like that in public. Like we took him to a birthday to Sherman's. Do you know Sherman Liz? You know Liz. Yeah. Liz's daughter. They had their first birthday yesterday party and um, we went to, to LA. And Miles is like fantastic in the car. It's like a, I'd say like two and a half hour round trip car ride. There's no like peeps or squeaks like in the car. Like he just sits there and he just like either takes a nap or he just looks out. Like we don't even distract him. No TV, nothing. Wow. No iPads, nothing. He just like sits in the seat and he just like looks out the window. Right. It's like fantastic. And then he gets to the party and he's like totally fine playing with the other kids and, you know, having a good old time for like two and a half hours and interacting and just by all standards, he's like, it's a fantastic child, well-behaved. But then at home, he just like try to feed him, try to change, like I said, change anything. It's just disaster. And so I read into it a lot because I was just like, why does this happen? Like, how are we actually supposed to deal with it? The biggest challenge and struggle isn't dealing with it, at least for Mink and I, I think it's like, how do we deal with it properly? What should we do? What should we not do? I think the obvious things are we shouldn't yell at him, right? We shouldn't like scare him. I think that's what our parents' generation did, which is like brought up the stick. It's like, shut the fuck up, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. Also, you just don't, I, I'm sure that they tried at first and then after a while, it's just frustration. It is. Like there's lack of communication. You can't figure out what they're thinking. Why are they even angry? And that's the breakdown, right? But that's the crazy thing. When kids break down during this stage, the most common thing, the, the, and I was reading on like, oh, when should we see a behavioral therapist, right? Is when the parents start breaking down, actually. Mm. And a lot of the behavioral therapy is around the parenting. It's not around the kid. Because the kid is going to be a kid. Like the kid is a fucking kid. Right. You can't make them understand your emotions. Yeah. <laughs> right. They don't understand their own emotions. They don't understand your emotions. They can't communicate. This is just normal stage or part of their development. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is growing up. They don't even know why they're upset. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe they do. They just can't communicate it. Yeah. But as adults, like, like you say, it's like it's actually an adult thing. And that's what I was reading up on these. I was like, all right, he's just doing what every fucking kid in this world has done since the beginning of time, right? That we've done. But how am I supposed to react? Am I supposed to just like ignore him? Am I supposed to like, you know, be stern and be firm with him? Am I supposed to hold him? Am I supposed to distract him? Right. And funny enough, it's not that straightforward because if you distract him every time, then he doesn't know how to cope. And that's what we've been doing for the longest time is trying to just distract him out of it. Mm. But if you hug him all the time, then he also doesn't know how to cope. If you ignore him too much, then it's like, he doesn't know this or that. But long story short, the root of it for anybody who's curious of why kids throw a tantrum is because they're their, you know, amygdala, their brain is developing, right? The amygdala is like the core part of your brain. It's actually the, the first part of your brain, actually, right? It has like all the emotions and things like that. And 
I think controlling your heartbeat and breath, the core functions. Fight or flight comes from there and the animal instincts basically. What was interesting that I read was that getting upset is normal, but a tantrum is when like the amygdala completely takes over. You're just flooded with hormones and it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, your thinking parts of your brain. The thinking, the listening, the reasoning, all that just goes out the window and you're just controlled purely by emotions. And it's, it can spiral into that really quickly. And it's really hard to like get out of that, right? And so what you try to do is you try to short circuit that happening in the first place, or you try to teach them that like, this is not productive, right? And some ways to teach that is like, you actually have to ignore them, but not like ignore them, like lock them up in a room or time out, which is what our parents used to do, right? It's like, fucking lock you in the room until you fucking calm down, right? Or go sit outside until you fucking calm down. Or go to the basement until you fucking calm down, you know? It was a closet for me. Yeah, yeah. Or a closet, right? Or for me, it was like a bathroom, a dark bathroom. It just lights off, go in the bathroom. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> My brother has a great story about that. Yeah? About being in the bathroom. Yeah. How <laughs> he's like hyperventilating. Why is that? It's because he was just throwing a tantrum or just not, not a tantrum, but just really upset about something and went, had to be thrown into a dark bathroom with no lights. And whenever he would try to turn on the light, parents would open the door and like turn off the light. Right. And just keep him in there. Yeah. But he would freak out. And it's just such a, I mean, think about it now. You would probably say, Oh my God, that's like horrible parenting, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, child abuse. <laughs> also at the time, like we weren't kids. It's not like we we're like two years old, three years old and being thrown into a closet, right? I don't have a kid of my own, so I, I don't know. But I like to think that being put into timeout or being put into a corner or in a closet or bathroom, wherever, is all about actually trying to eliminate a lot of the different the stimuli. Yeah, just that's around you. You're, you're trying to go into a very central place and like what you're saying, how your brain is being overrun by an instinctual part of it, where it's just like kind of going crazy. And in order to bring that down, you have to eliminate the stimuli. I, I don't know. I mean, I was put in the bathroom. I remember like, and I was probably like four or five around this time. And in China, like, you know, you don't have light switches on the wall. It's a fucking string. Yeah. On the ceiling. You know, like <laughs> I, I was going to say it was outside. In Korea, they're outside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of them are outside as well. Yeah. Yeah. Some are outside. Yeah. But I, I actually, now that you bring that up, I can't remember if my aunt's house, because I stayed with my aunt for quite a while, my aunt and uncle, because my parents were in the US first. And I can't remember if it was in the ceiling. It doesn't matter. But I just remember like I couldn't reach the light. I couldn't turn it back on. And so just be in there with my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least you're with someone. I guess. <laughs> but you're still in the dark. And it's like, this is a Chinese bathroom, right? Which is like an apartment building. It's not like it has windows. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Same. There's no light. One of our bathrooms growing up had was like that. And no windows, right? Yeah. Except the light at the bottom of the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The crack, yeah. So you just hang out next to the door. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I think about it, I was like, you know, do we do that with Miles? Obviously, it's like way too early. He's two and a half years old. But I thought about it. I was like, you know, there's got to be a better way. Because... My challenge to it, and I'm saying this now, but you know, we'll see what happens in like a year. I'll tell you, I'll report back if I start putting him in the bathroom or the closet. 
My challenge to that method is that it doesn't teach them how to calm down without that environment. It's just like, how do you cope if you're put in an environment where it's like there is a lot of stimuli? It's like, how do you calm yourself down? How do you cope with that? Anyway, it's something that, again, I've been reading a lot more into. And, and speaking of parents, right, and adults who kind of put us into timeout and whatnots, what's interesting is that they're also, their amygdala is firing off. Like I can notice like, you know, I'm trying to control myself, right? Because my amygdala is firing off and my emotions are firing off. And I'm just like, dude, just fucking stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, please, you know, like. What do you want? <laughs> just tell me what you want. <laughs> Speaking of which, like bargaining, negotiating, giving in, obviously those are some of the tactics which you should avoid or something or not do too much. I don't, I don't know. There's so much parenting advice out there. Because it teaches them to throw tantrums to get what they want. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the same. The same could be said about you know, giving them comfort, like consoling them. I think the most logical advice that I read and which is instinctive to me is just like ignore them in the way that like you make sure they're safe, right? That they're not hurting themselves or like doing something dangerous, but you just go about doing your life. Like you just, I don't know, walk around and like, I don't know, make a coffee. I'll like clean the dishes or something. Just like go do your thing versus like what we were doing before noticing is that because we have four adults in the house, right? Mink and I and my in-laws would just sit there and stare at them. We'd all just give them our attention. Yeah. <laughs> he's like perfect this is yeah it. <laughs> right until like he just like checks with everybody until somebody breaks and somebody goes and like coddles him you know yeah and i'm like dude we can't do that because in school like there's nobody to you know it's it's a four to one ratio here right four adults to one kid at school it's like one to seven you know <laughs> by law i think it's one to seven and one to six depending on the age group i don't know it's just something that i find very fascinating and and again what I started noticing too is like the adults can spiral out of control as well. Everybody gets worked up because he's so worked up. And yeah, like like last night, dude. I mean, I was the only cool one. I felt like everybody else blew up. Yeah. <laughs> but I had to think about it. I was like, wait, guys, this is a normal part of a child's development. Like, why would we expect anything else? Right? Why would we expect him to just be an angel forever? <laughs> you know? Like an obedient child. He's just developing and learning about his independence, learning about boundaries. I really had to pull myself out of it. I was like, this is normal. This is status quo. Because she started going down the, the rabbit hole of like, oh, like I used to be like this. I think he gets it from me. It's like, I didn't know how to like calm down and I would hit things or I would throw things. And I'm like, I hate to break this because when you think you're special, right? It's like you think it's you're so stuck, right? Because you're like, I'm a special case. I'm like, everybody throws things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's why you hear people breaking plates, you know, like adults. I'm talking about adults breaking shit. Everybody does this. Now, to what degree, that's different, right? But right. this is not unique to us. This is not unique to you. And it's so weird. Something about throwing something when you're angry just feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like you're like literally physically releasing. Yeah. Taking an emotion and just putting it into that object and just <laughs> hurling it across the fucking room. <laughs> and then depending on what you first grabbed, it's afterwards you feel very satisfied or like a complete idiot. Or both. When I think about it, like I've probably thrown like three, in my adult life, I've probably thrown like three things in my life. No, I used to be totally like anger issues person. Throw shit. 
<laughs> punch holes in the wall and stuff. Nice. Such a had so many tantrums as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's what's that's what ultimately I realized, right? Is that we still have tantrums as adults. What's crazy is like Miles throws a tantrum and it feels like forever. It feels like 10, 15, 20 minutes, right? It feels like fucking whoa, way too long. <laughs> you know, like, but trust me, like after he snaps out of it, it's like it never fucking happened. Whereas for adults, we can ruminate on this shit for like days, weeks, months, you know? Yeah, man. Kids have such short memories. But what I'm trying to get at is like, I think it's an interesting lesson for us too. Like it is a choice, misery, suffering, all these things. It, it is a choice. And a kid just chooses not maybe intentionally and unintentionally, but they just choose to move on or they just move on. Yeah, yeah. I think what kids are very, very good at is being present. They're just reacting to what's in front of them. And if what's in front of them leads to a tantrum, then that's what it is. And then all of a sudden, that moment passes and they're in something else. Yeah. I've been reading this book, well, I'm listening to this book. It's actually a bunch of talks by Ram Das called Experiments in Truth. And I think part of the reason like we get so worked up about, especially kids, our own kids, right? I like the whole family got so worked up so is because like you don't want to see another person suffering or like even like as friends, like I don't enjoy it when you're suffering, when, when my friend is suffering or feeling like depressed, like I don't, doesn't make me like, all right, cool. You know? <laughs> and it, it is like, it's a struggle. It is a struggle. And I think that's why like I had pulled myself out of it yesterday because it was making me upset that he was so upset, right? But his like reason or his MO for being upset is because he's developing. It's like a natural part of his development. It's not like he's like trying to like make me upset or trying to like do something intentionally. And so this, this whole idea of like, well, how do we like cope with the suffering of other people, especially the suffering of other people in the world? When we hear about all these natural disasters or war or famine or like murder, right? There's just so much like shitty things happening right now at this very moment. And you know, these spiritual teachers always talk about suffering as just a normal human condition, right? And we talked about before is like, life is suffering. And we rephrase it as like, it's a challenge. Everything, it's a daily challenge. But then like, how do we um, cope with other people's suffering? And how do we show compassion? And I think this is what helped me snapped out of it is because he said that showing compassion doesn't mean you try to end the other person's suffering. Because one, you can't, end other people's sufferings. And two, you don't have a right to end their suffering. And that second one was really powerful to me. What does that mean of a right? Like you're feeling something, James. You're feeling depressed. You're feeling sad. You know, I don't have a right to end your sadness because that sadness, that depression, whatever it is that you're going through, it's natural. It's a natural part of your development or your growth, your personal growth. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I'll give you a very basic example. A kid's trying to learn how to walk. It's like, I don't want you to fall right? It's not our right to like stop that. Like we see suffering as such a bad thing or these depression or whatever it is as such bad things that we talked about before. It's like, it's not a negative thing. It's a part of our developments as natural as day and night and black and white and positive and negative. Like everything from atomic level has that duality, but the basis of duality, if not like a multifaceted, you know, reality. But um, that just really helped me realize that my job as a human being is not to end other people's sufferings. And so what do you do? 
how do you actually cope with that? Well, one way is realizing that in this present moment, like I said, everything's happening all at once, whether you, you like it or you realize it or not. At this moment, someone's getting killed, guaranteed, right? Someone's getting murdered, some atrocious, you know, horrendous thing. On the other hand, someone's getting born, right? Like someone's starving and someone's like eating well. So joy, pain, rape, murder, birth, and love, all these things are happening all at the same time. And we don't realize that. And that is life. That is the human condition. So what do we do? We make space for that. We recognize that. Compassion is about understanding that everything happens. Whether you like it or not, whether you can control it, everything's just happening, good and bad. How do you create space and say like, all right, whatever you're going through, it's just happening. If I see somebody getting murdered, like I'm going to try to stop it, obviously, but it's like just creating space for all that is life, basically. You're saying this as internally for yourself. Yes. Right? To know that you are going through all this and that is just life. Right. Because the key thing that they're trying to get at is when you try to carry other people's suffering, let's say like I know like a million refugees are like starving to death and suffering. It's like it doesn't help them. Most people just read the news or hear the news. They just feel bad. Like, oh, like people's homes are getting destroyed in Tampa. Like, well, what are you doing about nothing? I'm just feeling bad. Versus understanding like, hey, this is happening. This is very sad and unfortunate and it's happening. But pulling yourself out of that drama, because then you can actually be in a space to do something about it if you want to. We like to think that negative emotions like that can like drive us. It can. But I think for most people, it just actually just creates drama. It just creates a story where we just like get depressed in it and we don't actually do anything. It actually makes us inactive. So tying that all back just to make it more concrete for our listeners, like with Miles, like if I bought into a story about this drama, like he's just like in the whole family, it's just like, this is all stressful. This is all terrible. Like he has somehow turned into like a devil child, which is not the case. Then we're all bought into that story that everything is wrong perfect household, everything was right, and now everything's wrong. Nothing's right. <laughs> That's literally how it feels. I've had friends who told me about this, like, oh, everything is right. And then they go read the news and they feel like everything is wrong. Nothing is right anymore. But that kind of feeling, that state of mind is not an empowering state of mind. What is an empowering state of mind? Pulling myself out of that drama and saying, this is not unique. This is happening every single day, every moment, everywhere in the world. Pull myself out of that drama and be like, all right, not everything is right. That's fine. That's how things are. Sometimes things are right. Sometimes things are wrong. It's okay, right? Fuck that. It's not about that. Like, what should I be doing right now with like to help Miles like feel better? To like, what should I be doing to figure out how to help him cope or deal with that next tantrum? How do I love what is? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Just letting him do what he needs to do and being supportive in that way. Yeah. And that's very much applicable, I think, to, to us as adults is just not letting myself get into the drama. And like I said, it's very counterintuitive to think like this because it sounds like you're being passive to say like, oh, everything's happening anyways, so what's a big fucking deal? It's not like that. It's more like compassionately creating space for like what life is about, what is life, and all these good things, good and bad, are life. And the sooner we can accept that, the sooner we can do something about it, I feel like. The more we reject it and say like, 
this is not a part of life. Murder is not a part of life. Tantrums are not a part of life. I feel like depression often stems from the rejection of negative emotions. Yes, that's very accurate to say that. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, your writing helps because, you know, it's in many ways or us talking about it, right? Openly or talking to therapists is you're kind of normalizing it, saying this is normal. Yeah. It's an acceptance of the feeling, regardless of how it makes us feel. Yeah. Wow. We learned so much from Miles's tantrum. I know, right? <laughs> it's so weird that it, like what kids can teach us. Oh, dude, kids. They don't even know. They don't even know. No. Kids are amazing. Like Miles throws a tantrum literally like 10 minutes later once he's out of it. And he's just like, literally, no, nothing happened. Life's fine. He's just like, hey guys, how's it going? He's like, you want to play with this? It's like, are you fucking serious? Five minutes ago, you were like <laughs> losing your shit at me and like, you don't want anything to do with me, you know? <laughs> but these are the stories that we tell as adults. That's what I remind myself. Like when I pull myself out of the drums, like that's a story that we're telling ourselves, Mink. That he's mad at us. Dude, he's a kid. He ain't mad at us. He's mad at situations. Mad at like his inability to communicate, right? He hates us. I wonder uh, what the story is from a kid's point of view. If a two-year-old can remember what they were thinking when they could articulate their feelings later on, I wonder what they would say. It's probably something stupid like the train toy wasn't going around when I wanted it to. Yeah. And I was just so upset. And nobody would help me. <laughs> or it's more like, I just wanted to play with this toy. Or I just wanted to play with X for another five minutes. <laughs> or a little bit longer, undefined. Because they have no sense of time. Yeah, under, they have no idea what the five minutes is. Yeah, I just wanted to keep playing. Yeah, I don't want to do that new thing yet. <laughs> uh, I want to do it later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this new thing. It's fun. And they forget about that they were ever upset. So anyway, I think there's a lot to be learned from kids for us, which is that just, like you said, be more present. And then from what I was saying earlier, like just hold on, try to hold on to less things, let go, let go of your emotions that are not serving you at this moment. Sometimes sadness serves me. Sometimes, you know, depression serves me. And then sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. The difficult part is trying to find out which switch and when you're holding on too tight. Yeah. Or maybe it's just taking notice of when you are holding on too tight because you never you should never hold on too tight to anything especially feelings and that's one of the things that he um, he actually talks about in the talks Ram Das was that like now that we're older we know how fleeting that feeling of like first love is or not first love like the honeymoon phase mm. we've gone through it I mean, like we know how fleeting it is the first girl that you like first date or something like felt like you want to marry this girl like this is going to last forever like this feeling right yeah like this is everything and you realize like no that's not everything and that's not a bad thing that's a maturation of our i think our emotions and saying like you can't hold on to something too tightly because it a nothing's permanent nothing ever lasts because that's just reality of life whether we like it or not like we're born we die it's unhealthy to hold on to those unrealistic expectations as well. So maybe that's a sign. Everything comes and goes. Yeah. Everything comes and goes. Yeah. It doesn't have to come and go in a bad way. It can come and go, meaning it like it comes in waves, right? It's an up and down cyclical. Some weeks like you're madly in love and other weeks you're just like chill. Some weeks the waves are gentle and awesome and sunny and bright and perfect. Some there's just storms and then every once in a while there's a rogue wave or a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
I think that's that's a great metaphor. But I think on a day to day, it's just trying to make sure that your like ups and downs, your sine waves are like modulations, like smaller. But understanding that it can fluctuate. That's one of the biggest struggles lately. We haven't talked about golf yet, and we talked about how we're going to record on a golf course. But golf has been stabilizing. Of course, Sean sneaks in a point about golf. <laughs> Couldn't go an entire week without it. I'm at that point where I'm just like, all right, I'm perfectly shitty at this game. <laughs> and I've stopped improving. But like for me personally, that's understandable. My parents left two weeks ago, right after our last recording. And we had to you know, completely readjust with two kids. And, and we still have Mink's parents here, obviously, and Miles still going to school. But now I didn't have an extra set of parents to watch Mila so I can go golf every other day. <laughs> but it's, it's still fine. Everything's working out fine. And I know my internal struggle, which I've been documenting for a while now, is not how do I get back to work, but like, what do I do next? Because there's quite a lot of options and how do I prioritize life and work planning? Chase what you're good at, man. What you're good at and what you can get paid for. Yeah. I think that's the 1% of the world who are truly happy in, in what they do. I'm not saying that only 1% of the world is happy. I'm just saying that there is rare amount of people who are happily doing what they're very good at and getting paid for it. Hmm. I think that mix is very rare. Yeah. Because you have to get money. So some people do whatever it is that they do to get money. And some people aren't, aren't good at it. They still make money. Some people are good at it and they make money, but they're not happy. And the lucky few love what it is that they're doing, get paid well for it, and they're good at it. Yeah. And so maybe that's what it is that you kind of have to chase. Maybe it's even about becoming good at something that you love to do. That's, I think, something that I'm struggling with is especially with joining a sales team, joining corporate again, doing something I've never done before. Not even sure if I, if I love it. I'm definitely not good at it, but I'm doing all these things right now just to see if, can I get good at it? Can I love it? Can I get paid for it? I think all these answers are yes. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Just jumped in with both feet. Took me a long time to jump in, but I don't know, maybe for you and for anyone who's in a position where you can kind of explore, start with what you're good at or what you love doing. Yeah. That's why Sean's going to be a golfer in a, next year. <laughs> I've, I've actually um, <laughs> given up any kind of hopes and dreams of ever playing on the PGA because I'd realized, well, I'll tell you why. Actually, I shouldn't tell you this. Like I was playing like two weeks ago and I was like on the 17th hole and right before I was about to go up to swing. I just like bent down to tee up the ball. And then I got back up and like my back hurt. Like I pulled like a sciatica or something <laughs> or I pinched a sciatica. And I was like, oh, I didn't even swing yet. I literally just bent down to like tee up the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm going to hit this ball. I still like hit it. I probably shouldn't have. Probably just made it a little bit worse. And anyway, my sciatica like hurt for like two, three days. I started like stretching. I bought like a teeter-totter thing and I need to put that together. But I'm just like, fuck, I forgot how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have these issues. And then I was just like, yeah, professional golfers do this every day. Sean, you, you do it like three times a week, either on the range or on the course three times a week. And you can like, your body's all, like, already falling apart. There's no way you're going to make it to, to the PGA <laughs> at this rate. I mean, if you really want to go to the PGA, you got to go every day. That's one thing. And then I got to train outside of it as well. I need to do certain body exercises and stretch and 
go look at Tiger Woods' workout. His workout's insane. His workout's insane. And then they practice for like, I think, anywhere between two to four hours a day. Wait, was it you that told me this about how Tiger Woods like use golf clubs, how he practices so much and his swing is so perfect and he strikes the ball exactly at the perfect sweet spot every time that there is a divot in his clubs on the head of where the impact is made on the ball. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I didn't tell you this, but yeah. That's nuts. That's what you have to become. Yeah, I mean, he putts alone, just putting alone. I think he putts for an hour every day. I mean, if you love something so much, you're lucky to be good at it. And you're lucky to make money from it. You know, that's a thing. And I, I think that's the thing I've been thinking a lot about lately. It's like, I do like and enjoy a lot of things, but in some ways, you know, I decided to commit to having kids and Miles is getting to that age where like his development really requires my presence. When he was just a baby, it was like, he just needed to get fed, honestly. And now it's like, he really wants to engage. And, and yesterday, like we took him to Chinese school for the first time. I was like a, you know, one hour session. I think every Saturday now starting before we'd take him like there's one hour of soccer every Saturday morning that I take him to, which he doesn't really enjoy soccer. He can do everything. He follows instructions, but he doesn't like not natural at it by any means. He's not like, you know, just jumping at the ball. Are there two-year-olds that are like that? Actually, there, there are. There are some two-year-olds are like they have an affinity towards or like an interest towards like X, but it's pretty rare. At least what I see at the class, you know, out of like 40 kids, there's like two kids that are like really into it. Maybe that's the way you help Miles really early on, or kids, is to get them involved in as many random things, and you slowly start to help them find what it is that they have an affinity towards, a natural liking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode, Struggles 43. We're getting there to 50. Yeah. Have a great week.